This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Q&A's. I just wanted to shout out my friend Mason Conrad for making these awesome new thumbnails for the Q&As. It's just like a small thing that's important to me, but I do like it when the thumbnails aren't terrible. And you could always tell which ones Mason made and which ones I made because mine are all terrible. So thanks, Mason. Really appreciate it. But let's jump in and see what questions we have this week. Mike said they're looking to upgrade their audio setup for their gaming PC and retro console setup. Right now, they're looking at the product called the Ship Fullup because it has a DAC and a mic input that connects either to your PC or you just power it by USB and it could be optical audio input to headphones. They'd also be able to like, like to be able to run the audio from their old consoles through it and listen through the same headphones. Any ideas on how to accomplish this? So there's a very cheap way to do it, but I don't know what the performance is gonna be like. But unless anybody else has some better ideas, I think you should start here only because of cost, no other reason. But I think you should get an analog to digital audio converter. Digital to analog converters, there's a lot involved. There's a lot of preference-based stuff, but analog to digital can be very easy, well, easier, because all you're looking to do is take that exact same analog signal and make it into digital and not really change it. So you should be able to go from an analog to digital converter into the optical input of that DAC through your headphones. I would start with there, once again, only because of cost. I'll put a link to the one that I got and just see what you think. If you don't like it, you know, now you have another tool in your toolbox or return it to Amazon or whatever else. But if you really want to start talking about analog headphone amps, now you're going down the same path as DACs. Is this super important to you? What are headphones are you using? Do you have a $1,000 set of headphones? Then pick up a $1,000 headphone amp for it. Do you have just like a really good set of headphones? Or like for me, I use my Audio-Technica studio monitors whenever I need headphones. Then, you know, this might be fine. You might be able to get away with a couple hundred dollar one. Totally up to you. But I would start there because you're utilizing equipment you're already going to buy. And once again, it's cheap. Next, over on Patreon, Steve Wells wanted to chime in on the conversation from last week about connecting an Xbox to a VGA monitor or potentially using Sync on Green. And my answers last week were all talking about stock consoles. You could do a lot more with a modded console, but just not everybody wants to mod their console. So Steve wanted to remind everybody that you can use something like um, sync on green via component video if you have flashed the BIOS to do so. And you could also do things like forcing the dashboard to output 480p, which would be a good help if you're going directly into a VGA monitor. So my my preference would be to try to find some way to get direct VGA output and then 
flash it to go direct 480p all the time. So now you could use a VGA CRT monitor. Um, and really just depending on what you want to do, there are other options like I talked about last week. But yeah, thanks to Steve and everybody else who reached out about that. I just forgot to talk about the modding side of things when I really just had unmodded consoles in mind. And also, if you all have a question about that stuff, if possible, please clarify if you're using a modded Xbox or an unmodded or, you know, soft modded GameCube or Wii and GameCube, hard mod, whatever else. Just kind of put that into perspective as well so I can try to get the answer right. Jason Garrett is having an issue with a multi-monitor setup where changing one setting will have one monitor work, but the other one won't. And then changing that same setting back to the other direction flips it. One's compatible and one is not. And I read through your question a couple of times, Jason, and I just wasn't quite sure where the converters were because you talked about VGA to BNC, but that's a, just a pin converter. That's not a signal converter. Whereas on another one, you talked about a VGA to component and that's a signal transcoder. So basically what I would do is it seems like, it seems like you got almost everything working and you really just need to figure out a fix for one of the two displays. So if, one of the displays that requires the VGA to component video converter is having the issue. Try a different converter like that. You mentioned you have a RetroTank RGB to comp coming in as well as an Extron Crosspoint, uh, which would replace the G-SCART. So that, that's kind of some things that you could just change. If you've already ordered those, I would start with that. But you also mentioned possibly using an Extron RXI. Um, that's something that might work to whatever TV requires an RGBS signal but that really wouldn't do any kind of conversion unless it's on the sync line. So honestly, I think I would start with what you have. I would try the converter that you have coming in and then kind of go from there. But if you wouldn't mind, if that doesn't fix it, just kind of spell out the chain a little bit more. So CRT MU driver from a PC, assuming you've set that to output 15 kilohertz, but you know, are you going into the PVM with RGB or component? How are you linking through all of this stuff? And kind of just spell it out a little more detailed because what you're doing is very complicated. And it's not, it's one of those things that once it clicks in your brain, you're going to be like, oh, that's easy. But learning how to get to that point is the complicated part. So uh, you're, you're killing it already. Well done. Just uh, let's try to figure out this last little bit for you. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Michael Vu said when RetroAccess last opened orders for their SCART cables, they ordered a Sync on Luma SCART cable for their PlayStation 1 and 2 and a C-Sync cable for their Saturn. They're in the process of building a GBS 8200 based on Voltar's video where he mainly covers component input. They'd like an adapter for inputting SCART too. They saw RetroAccess as a custom cable builder section for RGBS 15-pin D-sub and wondering if that would work. Um, so it might... But I did have issues with the VGA input, and I think if you watch my video on it, sorry to like to go tell you to watch one of my videos. I, I don't mean to like push my channel here or anything, but I just don't remember the answer because it's been two years since I did it. But I think that requires clean sync in order to work. So what you would really want is something like the SCART cleaner, the SCART to VGA adapter, or any of those adapters that can do something like that. 
Uh, also, Michael said they're confused as to what they should do for audio line input and output. Uh, you just don't put audio through the GBS. You just separate it. So, like, just for example, if um, if you were to buy a SCART cleaner or make your own or whatever else, or buy any of those devices that change SCART to D-sub and amplify sync, they would all have some kind of audio output. Some have 3.5 millimeters, some have just two RCA jacks. So you would just plug SCART into that and those converter devices would break it out. You could have Retro Access make you one as well. Um, and that should work totally fine, but you just would have to then find a way to power it. I guess those can be powered off your SCART cables, but that, you know, that's something that's kind of worth trying. Because let's say, for example, you've only bought SCART cables from one of the three major SCART cable manufacturers, nothing custom, nothing weird. Then you could use the voltage that's on the blanking pin line in order to power that sink stripper. And that should be fine in most cases. But it's one of those things where if you have one that's externally powered, it doesn't really matter. It'll just always work. So that's kind of a thing. Um, so reading the rest of your question, I, I think that's basically the device that are the device, the ad device that I would give. Yes, of course, you could switch over to using only HD retrovision cables. But, you know, if you're already going SCART, it might be cheaper to just stick with this. So I think for your scenario and please, GBS control experts, correct me if I'm wrong, remind me if I already covered this in my own video that I'm not remembering. But I just think the easiest solution around this is to get uh, some kind of device that breaks out SCART to D-sub, strips the sync and amplifies it, and then breaks out audio as well. But uh, I'm interested to hear if any of you think I, I got that wrong or I'm remembering wrong. Next up, Belmont was looking for a recommendation for a component video multi-switch. Um, so I do have kind of a strong opinion on this, but anybody else with any other thoughts, jump in. First and foremost, if you're on a budget, start with any manual push button switch at all. Belmont linked to one that seems fine, but here's the thing. A manual push button switch, if it's routed wrong, might, might introduce some interference on the video or audio lines. Maybe. They might be totally fine, but there isn't any safety issue involved, and there really are barely any safety issues at all with component video. So this is really one of those things where you could just kind of just buy something, and heck, uh, you know, if you want to buy a $20 one and you think, ah, I think there's a little more interference than when I plug it in directly, use it for a while, save up and get a better one. So I would start with the cheapest, unless you already know you're going the distance to build a crazy setup. I'll get to that in a minute. However, the one thing that you need to remember is whatever switch you're using, your output cables have to be shielded. HD Retrovision RCA to RCA, just basic component cables are less than 20 bucks. They're some of the best that's ever been made. No excuse not to use those. So just make sure to pick those up. Now, if you wanted kind of a middle solution, you could pick up a used Extron Crosspoint switch and then just get a bunch of uh, these BNC RCA to BNC adapters. You just buy the cheapest ones. You don't have to buy expensive ones. Plug them in, wiggle them. If they work, great. If they don't, whatever, just toss them out. Um, but that that's kind of a middle solution. And it's funny that I say that's a middle solution because the cross points used to be thousands of dollars, but it's a used piece of equipment, which means there's a good chance that you could buy it and it'll work absolutely flawless. And there's an equal chance that you could buy it and one of the ports doesn't work. The caps will need replacing. The power supply dies next year and you got to fix that. You just, you never know with stuff that's 20 years old. But if you want matrix switching and you, know, you want to be able to have a lot more control and a step up and a potential step up in quality, manual push buttons could also be flawless too from as far as quality goes. That's good. 
But if you know that you absolutely want the best component video switch with simultaneous two outputs that could also support composite video if you want, get the G-Scart or the G-Comp switch. It's very expensive. If you're just getting into this and you don't know if you need a crazy setup, don't don't spend the money. But if you do know that you want the best and you modded all your consoles for the most pristine output and you've got all HD retrovision cables and you're going to go through a RetroTINK 5X into a 8K TV or something, yeah, you probably would notice the quality difference between lesser quality switches. So it's kind of my thing. Start with the cheapest unless you know you want the best and then kind of decide where you want to land in the middle uh, if you decide to go another route. A bunch of questions from Raymond following up on the episode 237 questions. First, they ordered the Wi-Fi Bluetooth combo dongle that I put on the Mr. Post, but since they would have had to have paid import duties or more shipping than they did on ordering it from their local Amazon, they ordered it local and sent a PayPal donation as a thank you. That is so thoughtful. Thank you so much. That is really, really nice of you. The affiliate links are there. I mean, the affiliate links are part of what keeps this going, but it's also there just simply because if you were in the US or Canada and you were going to buy it anyway, you know, that's just one of those no brainers. Why, you know, give no more of a charge to you. So I put them there for that. But yeah, it's just really nice of you. Thank you very much. Um, They also, to, to continue, a bunch more questions. They searched a lot, but couldn't find any discussion on how to use Simlinks with Mr. Easiest way to do that is WinSCP and doing it right on the Mr. If you're talking about using something like putting it on a network attached storage, it would have to be a Linux based OS. And you might still be able to to log in with WinSCP and do it that way, but that's getting a little complicated and that's starting to dip into Linux territory, which I'm I'm terrible at. So um, I'm going to have to politely skirt that question a little bit, or you could use RetroNAS and it'll all be done for you. Um, Next, they wanted to order the 3DO optical drive emulator, but the shipping costs and import duties were super expensive. Um, Is there any way to get European shipping or or European distribution, or does anybody have any tips on what else to do? That's a good question. I don't know. I could ask Fixel if uh, he's considered European distribution, because that would be a help, because then you could kind of, he could box everything together and it would just pay import duties once. But yeah, that that really, really stinks. And I'm sorry to hear that, but there's a whole bunch of things involved. Uh, and, you know, shipping costs, part shortage, fuel costs, there's a whole bunch of things that make that just insane. So I always feel bad when I hear people having to pay a lot of import duties, but I'm not really sure. So I could certainly, excuse me, I could certainly ask for him about that. Next, is it possible to pair Bluetooth headphones with the Mr.? I don't think so. I don't think so because Mr. doesn't generate audio over USB. You could potentially use the Bluetooth converters we've been talking about in the past couple episodes where you get optical audio output from the mister into a Bluetooth transmitter to use your headphones. That way, that might work. Um, but I don't think by default you could do that in mister because that would ha- that would mean the FPGA would have to generate the audio through Bluetooth. But who knows? Maybe there's already an API out there to do this and it wouldn't be a hard addition or maybe it would be as hard as writing a core. I don't really know, but that's a good question. But I think you should probably rely on external uh, devices for that because you could definitely do that right now and you could find them fairly cheap. Next, they read a lot of Bluetooth or 2.4 gig RF wireless controllers like 8-bit Doe, but they don't know which one is good for them with the least possible lag. Definitely go to mraddons.com, check out the latency sheet, 
and sort the controllers by latency and you could figure out what's the fastest either just RF wireless 2.4 gig or Bluetooth controller in order to do that with. Um, so that is that's definitely something that I would go to lag first and then kind of decide which of the lowest latency controllers you think would fit your hands better. Um, next, uh, they're not a programmer, but they did find a script that was converting Q to pops and they wrote a quick solution for it. So they were, t I think this is probably for, um, for putting PlayStation one games on pop starter on PS2. That's still something I'm interested in, but not the biggest fan because it's not as accurate as putting a PlayStation one disc in a PlayStation two. Um, but I will definitely link to the, um, uh, to the GitHub that you have posted. So, uh, once again, you know, thanks for the donation and the, and the, and the help and the support. And hopefully I could point you in the right direction with some of these questions. Quantum Guitar had a couple of CRT related questions. First, they have a PVM that's 13 inches from 1992 and 450 TVL, TV lines. And they wanted to know how that would compare to sharper 600 or 800 or 1000 TVL monitors. And what I've found is a couple of different things. First of all, the smaller the tube, the more the lines or the closer the lines are together. So you don't notice the lines as much. So a 450 TVL 13 inch monitor might actually be sharper than a 600 TVL 20 inch monitor, depending on a million different factors, of course. But so you have to take size into consideration as well as just the TVL. But on top of that, the content that you're using should have a lot to do with it. And some of these games were designed on just crappy old consumer grade TVs. And the mask of those TVs, the low line count mask will cut through that image in a pretty cool way. Whereas if you're using a 900 line, 14 inch monitor, you barely even see a mask. It almost looks sort of, sort of flat panel esque. So it's really up to your eyes to decide what's better. And I don't have a solid preference. There are certain scenarios in which I love high TVL monitors, like watching Blu-rays in 480p, and others that I like the 600 TVL 20-inch combination. I kind of love that one, generally speaking. But, you know, there's some stuff that lower TVL at a lower size I think is kind of neat. So it's really just kind of up to you. Next, they were also hoping to use it in a Tate orientation, but they've noticed that it did have the often reported color issues when rotated, even after leaving it rotated for half a day. Is this something that's usually resolved with a built-in degauss button or done manually? I would double check. Wherever you found that they said it was happening, check their solutions. And if it was as easy as pressing the degauss button, it should be fine. If it caused other issues with it, then you might want to look into a different CRT for rotating it. Next, do all PVMs or CRTs degauss on power-up? No, you might have to buy a degaussing one depending on the model. A lot do, but not all do. Uh, next, in that case, would it be worth trying multiple power degauss cycles while in Tate orientation? Possibly, but just make sure the other people doing this haven't reported other issues. Generally, I think it's safe to rotate a CRT, but there's other things you might want to look into, including which direction you rotate it in. Maybe there's a speaker that is half shielded and if you rotate it in one angle it interferes it's only one way to find out so i would just kind of look closer into those sources and see what you got a couple of questions from robert first can i recommend a good vga cable for the dreamcast they're going to be connecting it to the retro tank 5x via the hd15 to scart they didn't want to wait 10,000 years for the hd retrovision cables uh, i don't blame you 
I, I used the Retrobit one on Amazon. Now, I'm 99.9% .9 sure that it's just a rebranded AliExpress thing. And who knows the quality that you're going to get. The consistency on any of those mass-produced in a big factory warehouse cables are, are hit or miss. However, if you buy it from Amazon, you could always return it if it sucks. And I did do some checkerboard testing, and the one I got seemed fine. The one, the generic cable I bought 10 years ago or something was a mess. I mean... You didn't even need to be into video analysis to see that there's interference on the screen, there's brightness issues, and the Retrobit one just wasn't. So yes, it's probably rebranded meh cables, but it should work fine for you. And I did test that exact one through the HD15 Discart on the RetroTink. So I'll leave you, I'll leave you a link to that. Um, next, they have an 8-bit do do-it-yourself kit for their Saturn controller. Do I know any way to connect it to the Saturn? I believe you would need some kind of Bluetooth receiver, but I don't know if they made one. So you would just kind of have to look it up. Uh, and if not, maybe somebody could make one based on the Blue Retro platform, but good question. Uh, also, in regards to last week's question about the Saturn boot animations, Terra Onion's Discord said it can't be done because the animation is in the system BIOS. So you can't like power on the Saturn with the US boot animation and then launch a game with the Japanese or something like that. So thanks for finding out the answer. I, I was kind of just curious about that as well. Last question. Can anyone recommend a good rechargeable LED strip? They want to put LEDs on all their shelves, their desk, and underneath all the furniture. Um, I, I certainly have nothing to add. I don't like those. Now, that's preference. There's not a right or wrong reason. You could you could glue those to your body and to every inch of your house. And if, if that's what you're into, cool. It's just it's not my thing, so I don't have a good answer for you. But maybe people in the community would. I'd love to hear what other people have to say. And just a reminder, YouTube blocks almost all links and it's really hard to get them enabled. So if you have a recommendation for Robert, just type something out like, you know, the brand X RGB strip lights available at, you know, Best Buy, Amazon, just don't drop a URL and that way they'll go through. Next up is a question from Jim, who was kind enough to help me out with the pronunciation of their last name, Nardakia, which is interesting because or spellings close to that or pronounced different depending what country you're from. And I guess even what part of the U.S. you're from if you're in the U.S. because a lot of us pronounce things differently across the giant country that we're in. So thank you for taking the time to correct me because uh, I always intend to get it right. I want to get it right, but I'm just terrible at it. And hey, let's see if uh, my exhausted, burnt out brain could remember it for, for next time. But anyway, Jim's question is that they have a 720p, 768p Pioneer Plasma that used to be in their main setup, and now they have it in their retro setup. It's got component video inputs, and it handles every analog signal that they've ever thrown at it. Works really well, has a consistent three frames of lag from what they've tested, but the scaling is very soft. They got a RetroTINK 5X and it looks great, but using it to output 720p is a waste of its potential, so they're looking for something else. Um, they're going to use the TINK 5X for a different use case. So there's a couple of things to say there. First, about the latency. Um, as I tested in that myth-busting uh, lag video, the plasma TVs that I tested draw the entire frame at once. So three frames of lag is kind of actually more like two frames of lag, unless whatever you're looking at on the screen is in the exact top left corner, which is almost never the case. And on top of that, it has far less motion blur than LCD panels, especially of that era. So 
the reason you probably don't think the lag is that bad is because it probably feels more like a frame, which is fine in almost all cases. So, uh, yeah, keep keep using it. I love those plasmas. The only other thing I'll mention is I'm assuming that your TV has both HDMI and component inputs. If you tested the, if it was one of the component input onlys and you tested the lag through there, cool. Uh, also. Um, you just want to double check though. If your TV has both kinds of inputs, analog and HDMI, try to test the lag through both. I believe the plasma I tested was the same on all or something like that, but um, it's really just something you'd want to double check. But now, assuming that that's all said, let's just say you got a Super Nintendo with HD retrovision cables. I'm just guessing here. The first thing you're going to want to try is turning the sharpness up because normally that's going to make it look like complete garbage, especially on older flat panel TVs. But what the heck? I mean, it's, it's completely free in only a minute of your time. So start with that to see if plugging it in directly has makes any difference if you change the sharpness settings or, or anything else. But past that, um, if you're just looking to utilize a cheaper scaler so you could use your nice, more expensive RetroTINK 5X on something else, yeah, I, I do totally recommend the GBS control. And especially if your TV has good quality, low latency analog video inputs, because then you could just mod the GBSC for component out. I think it's just one resistor change and you just buy a D sub to component adapter cable. And then you could just send it whatever signal you want. And now you have a much cheaper device that that only outputs analog, but in your setup, that's totally fine. Obviously you could use an analog to digital converter, just saying in your setup, that's totally fine. So yeah, I think that would be an excellent solution. Um, I don't have recommendations for pre-built ones because the ones that I've tested, they're out of stock. The companies don't make them anymore. Um, I, there's out some out there that should be fine, but I've never personally tested, which I just, I'm always nervous about that because I don't want to say, yeah, go and get it. And then find out somebody wired video to voltage and, you know, you blow your TV up and explode your house and burn your neighborhood down. Obviously, I'm just being stupid and exaggerating here. But, you know, point is, I don't like to recommend stuff that I don't know for sure, especially when modding is involved. But I would kind of just take a look around and ask if anybody else has purchased on uh, any from a modder or a store and see if their experience was good and kind of go from there. Oliver Clare has a couple of questions that look to be about the LG OLED C1. Their local electronics retailer has a display model and the price is a thousand euros. They put a deposit down to get them to hold on to the unit for a few days. On one hand, this unit is their ideal TV for gaming, more so than the C2 due to better handling of 4.3 content. It should probably have a warranty and they confirmed that they could test it for burn-in and dead pixels before taking it. And as long as it doesn't have, or if it does have those problems, they'd be able to get their deposit refunded. On the other hand, it's been on display since last year, and they have no idea how the static image images running on it have been on or, or whether they've been properly shut off, etc. So they gave me to the end of the week to decide, so they were wondering. They would grace, greatly appreciate any tips or advice on how to test for burn-in or dead pixels or anything else that might be a potential concern. Are there any YouTube-based tests you could recommend that they could run by plugging their laptop into the OLED's HDMI ports? Solid color screens go through red, green, blue, and white, and I guess just all black just to make sure because when you run an all black screen the OLED should technically be off because each uh, each individual pixel generates its own uh, or pixels generate their own color for each of the you know for each on screen so that's an easy one uh, next there's a sub menu in the C1 firmware where you could see the total hours that it's been powered on is there an approximate number of hours that they should take take it on a maximum I don't know 
that's a very good question. Um, if anybody else knows the answer to that, let me know. But my my guess would be just like CRTs in that. Does it still look good? Is it nice and bright? Is it clear? Is there is it physically damaged? Any, you know, exactly what you said, burn in, dead pixels, whatever. Three, what is involved in having an OLED TV refurbished? I don't know that you can. I know that if things like the power board died, you could just replace the capacitors and maybe some of the power circuitry. Uh, and I guess possibly you could also replace any of the, the lighting circuits, but... Uh, you know, meaning like the circuit boards that go on the side that you plug the panel into, but the panel itself, I think that's it. I think when it's dead, it's dead. Um, four, would running pixel refresh make any difference to the remaining life of the TV? Uh, they've heard that this function is similar to removing a stain from the wooden table by sanding down the whole surface. I don't know. I wouldn't really run that unless you had some kind of pixel retention that needed to be cleared. But what I would do is recalibrate the TV. So uh, you should be able to run through some basic steps, um, you know, like kind of just look up the settings that people recommend. And then if you, you could decide how far to go from there, but there should be some fairly basic things that you could do for color and brightness to make sure that it's where you need it to be. I do want to point out that my TV is a 2016 OLED that was a floor model that I bought. So this was the same situation as you. It was running, you know, the entire time Best Buy in New York City was open. And I walked in one time and it was a $3,500 TV. And they had like the price crossed off and half of the display was taken down. And I said, hey, are you selling the floor model? They were like, yeah, we're just about to take it down. I said, how much? And I got, I think they got the price down to like 2000 It was like 2200 or something after taxes and all that stuff. And I just said, you know what, let me do it. Because the same thing, Best Buy, they said I could return it if I had any issues. And there is one weird thing where you, on an all blue screen, you could see a seam down the middle. So I don't know if it was two smaller panels stitched together or if there was a problem or something like that. But I only notice it, I, I rarely, rarely notice it. And for, you know, almost half price, I would consider that an, an amazing TV. And I'm so happy I got it. And it's now, what, six years later? And I, I still think I pay, it, you know, because a good TV and watching movies and stuff is very important to me. So I think at this point, if it died tomorrow, I would be super sad because I love that it's curved with 3D. It's one of the few TVs that do a good job with both of those things. But I wouldn't feel like I got ripped off. I would feel like I got my money's worth. And while I would like it to last a lot longer, you know, whereas like if I a year later the thing died and I lost that money, I'd have been pissed. But now it's like I got a lot of use out of this thing. So I just wanted to share my perspective, obviously do whatever your gut tells you in this scenario, but I certainly wouldn't be uh, too worried as long as everything seemed to look okay. Renaissance 2K said, thanks for the heads up last week about the SCPH 1160 PlayStation breakout box. They knew about the adapter, but didn't realize it also had a multi-out pass-through on the other side. This would allow them to use the RGB out for captures and the composite out for playing games where the graphics are better suited for it. By the way, that is one of the many reasons why I want that other multi why I want that adapter made for every console because, you know, streaming composite video, the blurriness of composite mixed with the compression of streaming kind of, you know, really smushes it all down. But that scenario is just the streamer's dream right there for any early 3D graphics. Zero latency, you get everything right in front of you the way it's supposed to be made, or supposed to, it was made to look, but you also have a crispy stream for people to watch. Now, that said, why is it so hard to find a single channel RCA cable so they could connect the composite out and the breakout to the composite in on the G-Comp? So, uh, 
I think, here's a guess, I have a real answer for your next question, but my guess is that when companies make these cables, they to make single cables, which would sell a lot less, would end up costing them more than making a ton of just good quality multi-cables. It's HD Retrovision is a good example. You, know, you could say, well, why don't you just make stereo audio cables? Because it might be the same price as their component video cables with stereo audio built in because they would have to spin up production but with lower volumes. However, what you said, uh, could you use a subwoofer or digital audio cable with RCA connectors in its place? Absolutely. As long as it's a shielded cable where ground is on the outside, signals on the inside, and there's RCA connectors on both ends, you could totally use it. You could also use coax RF cable and have those adapters at the end. You could use basically anything that's shielded. Um, I'll leave a link to the one that uh, some of the ones that I've bought. There's one shorter one that I used that I thought was perfect because it's short, obviously analog anything, the longer the cable, the more potential for interference, but that might be a little too short for your setup. So if you have a subwoofer cable that you use, go for it. Um, next, one more quick thing. They know that anecdotal evidence is useless, but they were pleasantly surprised to see that their own pre-ordered Sedusa, Exodusa, I don't know how to pronounce the Behar Brothers box, but it didn't have the brightness issues that I did. So Yossi emailed me and said that mine probably was just a production issue and no one else had the issue. But it, it's kind of frustrating because I've known Yossi for years. I, nothing but good things to say about he and his brother. But if you send me something that you know I'm going to dig deep into, whether it's a live stream or whether it's a review, maybe check it first then. Because it's, you know, what is the what are the chances of me getting the one and only dead unit or, or damaged unit from from a large shipment of these things? So I think you're right. I think no one else had the bright, or I think brightness issues aren't, going to plague every one of them but it was that was a little weird something felt fishy about that and i'm not accusing the behar brothers of anything by the way but was mine damaged in shipping did i damage it when i was taking pictures of it like something was up with that scenario um and i, I think they mentioned sending me another one but I, I never got it so it's up to them if they want me to, to check it out again and update the review but yeah i was super disappointed about that one but uh as long as that is not an issue and as long as they have some kind of new support for the back for cable retention. I think it's a pretty damn cool product. And I'm imagining that you probably use it for a similar scenario where you're taking the HDMI out for streaming and using your component video or uh, yeah, the component video out onto your display or something like that. So um, anyway, uh, good questions. And uh, I will leave a link to that breakout cable. Tony Escobar just wanted to comment that they love the shorts that I've been doing. They just scrolled through a few of them and they think they represent the work I do very well. Uh, thank you. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to keep posting those on YouTube, but I, without a doubt, will keep doing that on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter, because I do love those short little promo style videos. Uh, and I guess, you know, most people who commented said they did not want me cluttering up my YouTube feed with shorts, but... I think I just, I got to weigh the total option, right? Is there really going to be a difference in the algorithm if I post the same video I was going to post somewhere else on YouTube as well? Would more people getting pissed off with that be more of a detriment than whatever I get from the algorithm? I'm going to kind of have to, uh, kind of have to just let that one ride. 
Um, also, Sony, they just ordered a Sony PVM 14L5, which is going to be refurbished by Pat. Super excited, and I have a bunch of questions soon. Well, congrats. That is an awesome monitor. It is just like a perfect, if you like a smaller monitor, that's amazing because it gets, or it'll take any resolution you throw at it. So thank you for the kind words. And also shout out to Andrew said something nice before, but I kind of just skipped over it in interest of time, but thanks to, to both of you for, and thanks to everybody who says nice things in these. I generally just skip over them because I'm trying to not ramble forever like I'm doing right now. But so if I, if I skip over your, your pleasantries, it's uh, please don't be offended by that. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you all very much for saying stuff like that. I just, you know, I don't want to in- increase the length of these already long podcasts with uh, going through them. So hopefully that's not an offensive thing for me to say. And I do very much appreciate it all. Next up, Jason Guffey said, they asked during the stream the other day if I knew of an HDMI to VGA video DAC that also had a decent audio breakout as well. Originally, it was because they were having some major interference noise coming through their sound system, and they assumed it was because of the cheap HDMI DAC they were using. I suggested they look for ground interference with other devices connected to the receiver or possibly within the receiver itself. Since then, they disconnected their other two analog inputs, and the interference seemed to go away. They were playing Nintendo Switch on a VGA CRT while sound went through the receiver perfectly, so they deduced one of the other inputs must have been the source of the ground loop noise or whatever it was, and they would look into it later. Lo and behold, they switched to the PS5 in the same setup via their HDMI switch, and the noise returned. And not only did it come back, but it also applied to all of the analog inputs on the receiver, despite the HDMI DAC still only being connected to one input. Turning the receiver off and on again fixes the problem temporarily, but as soon as they switch back to the PS5, the problem repeats itself. They looked a bit more into the PS5 sound options and found that setting the audio format to either Dolby or DTS causes the noise to return, but setting it to linear PCM will get rid of the noise if they select it and then reboot the console. They have to do this each time they use the setup in order to keep the noise from returning. They know PS5 isn't retro, but they also know I'm an audio person and figure I might have some idea what's happening here. So my guess, uh, if that means that you're using the PS5 through a digital to analog converter, my guess is that's the problem. It could be that the deck that's built into that doesn't support Dolby or DTS. It could also just be that it's not that great of a DAC. So what I would really look into is, unfortunately, two devices. That HDMI splitter that I recommend that also has an optical audio out, or just taking optical... Do, do PS5s have optical audio out anymore? Do they have SPDIF out, or is it only HDMI? Assuming it's only HDMI, if it was a PS3, I would say run optical directly to your receiver. If it's a PS5, use one of those HDMI splitters, grab optical audio out of that, and go from there. Um, you could also, instead of optical audio, go to HDMI eARC and pass that through so that you could have you know, the HDMI cable going into your DAC, your, you know, your video DAC, but also the eARC going to your receiver if you still want to get all of the audio channels uh, for Atmos or something like that. But basically break out the audio digitally is probably the way to go. I don't know of any uh, eARC HDMI breakouts that I have used and tested and would trust. Uh, If anybody knows of any, please let me know. But I will, of course, leave a link to the HDMI shootout video so that you could, if you wanted to, just pick up that same. Actually, I'll just go directly to the splitter that I'm talking about because it's the one I use all the time. I still have it right here. It is never more than a few feet away from me because I just, I rely on this for so many different things. And you would just go, you know, 
PlayStation 5 to the input, output 1 to your HDMI to VGA converter, don't put anything in output 2, and then use this bit of output into your receiver. So, uh, you know, kind of have a think about that and see, and, and maybe the PS5 already has a spit if output. Next up, Retro YPBPR was recently using their Model 1 Genesis with the Mega EverDrive Pro. And the game froze, the graphics went crazy, and the screen eventually went to black. This now happens with every game. They've had the EverDrive for two or three years and haven't had any issues. Any idea what's wrong? They haven't had a chance to try the, an original cartridge or another SD card yet. Unfortunately, that, that would be it. You would have to first try a couple of original cartridges and see. It could be your Genesis. It could be the EverDrive. It could just be the cartridge slot needs cleaning, which you might think at first, like, oh, but the EverDrive was new. Why would, it, why would that have to do with it? Don't, don't forget that this has 30 years worth of cartridge insertion on it. So maybe you need to clean the cartridge slot as well as the cartridge itself. But I would definitely try that. Clean the cartridge, clean the uh, cartridge slot, Try original games, make sure the games are clean too, and go from there. If that still doesn't work, then uh, try a different micro SD card just temporarily. You just you, Whatever one you have lying around, just format it to FAT32, throw the EverDrive firmware, throw one ROM on, the same one that was crashing, uh, and see what happens. And that way you could determine where the problem is coming from and kind of just go from there. Seacon said that the price of the DE10 Nano, once the best bang for the buck FPGA solution, keeps inching upward with part shortages and high demand. It's not unreasonable to think it would eventually be more expensive than other solutions with more powerful FPGAs, and TerraSIC may eventually stop producing the boards entirely. Do I see the DE10 Nano price ever coming down, or is it likely Mr. will branch off development to another platform? I don't ever see the price coming down because the price was ridiculously low to begin with because the FPGA that's on there was very expensive just by itself. And the reason the price was so cheap was because it was subsidized by Intel. Subsidized. Um, sharp today, huh? Now, do I ever see Mr. branching off to another platform? Well, it has to because nothing is forever. You know, no hardware platform is made forever. So at some point, it has to move on to the next gen or the generation after that's platform. What I don't want to see is it to break off to 20 different platforms because then it's going to get fragmented. It, some platforms might get more updates than others. I think the fact that we're all focused on one platform is awesome. And it's the same reason why I love Raspberry Pi emulation, not because it's the fastest, but because now you have groups of people all over the planet working with the same group of hardware, which has made some pretty amazing evolution or has caused some evolution in that as well. So, um, I just hope that something else is released within the next few years that has all of the features that we would love. Imagine like a 4K 120 version where we could just add BFI right into the cores or something like that. Powerful enough to run everything we want. I would love to see another one subsidized. Subsidized. Why can't I say that word today? But I would love to see another one that is affordable for everybody so that more people could jump on it. But we have to just wait and see when and if that will happen. By the way, the DE10 is still not what I would call expensive by any means. And it's still much cheaper than a lot of other platforms out there. But I get what you mean. At one point, you could have picked up one of those shipped for 180 and now it's like 220 plus even direct from TerraSix. So um, yeah, good question. But I think only time will tell for all of that stuff. 
Well, that's it for this time. If you're new to these Q&As, ask any question you would like wherever it is that you support. Just please ask in the latest Q&As post because I just can't tell what's a new question on an older post. Plus, as you see here, I just love scrolling through in real time and having a chat just like we are hanging out together somewhere. So any questions you have, fire away. And of course, and as always, thank you so much to everybody who supports because it is you who is keeping all of this stuff going. So thank you all very much and I'll see you next week.